Hey, what's good, jazz fans? Welcome to Jabber Jazz, where you get your fan-driven, ad-free Utah jazz basketball tea talk each week. I'm Adam Bushman, your host, here to jabber some jazz with you. And today we're talking recent roster moves. Uh, we've just got some uh, new announcements about the roster, and especially some training camp cuts, so we'll discuss that. And then we're going to talk about projections and defining success for this season. If you like what we're doing, please consider subscribing to the podcast and to our YouTube channel, following our social media accounts, leaving a review or a comment. And if you're really invested into what we're doing here at Jabber Jazz, consider snagging some merch at our shop, link in the description of this show. And that will just help keep the lights on here and all the modest proceeds make sure that we Jabber Jazz all season long. All right, so we're going to get into the roster moves to start out. So it was announced that the Jazz cut Sabin Lee. Sabin Lee came over with Kelly Olynyk in the Bojan Bogdanovich trade to the Detroit Pistons. That one was kind of always riding on the wall in a way. He's two years into his career. You kind of know who he is a little bit. Uh, he was also thrown in just to make the salaries work. And one interesting wrinkle is that the Detroit Pistons included enough cash to offset the guaranteed salary for this year. So really... He made the deal work. The The real kind of asset value was Kelly Olenek, like it or not. But uh, Saban Lee made the deal work money-wise, you know, per league rules. And the Detroit Pistons included enough cash to where the Jazz could let him go without really having... Uh, having any money uh, be wasted in a way. So the writing was kind of always on the wall there. I know we saw some good signs from him in the scrimmage, but hey, it's a scrimmage. Like that's even a few rungs lower than what we can evaluate from preseason, which already isn't very much. So that's Saban Lee. The Jazz also signed Micah Potter to a two-way contract. Uh, they signed Daryl Morsell and then immediately released him. Why would the Jazz even do that? Well, it allows the Stars to have, quote, rights to claim him in a way so that he could participate with the Salt Lake City Stars, uh, the G League team. And then they also signed Jonathan Williams. Uh, he was a summer league participant for the Utah Jazz. Not exactly sure if that's a Exhibit 10 contract, with, which, uh, you know, is just a, a temporary contract. Uh, or if uh, or if there's something else there that uh, that I'm not sure about, but essentially those are the roster moves. Most of them are peripheral, meaning that they're not going to have any bearing on the regular season roster that's official for the Jazz, but really just kind of maneuvering it to, in order to make sure that the guys they like stay in the overall ecosystem of Jazz and the Salt Lake City Stars. Uh, so that's that's kind of the. Uh, the deal on the roster moves. So what this means is that we've already got one cut down. So now we need to we need to have three. Three guys from the current preseason roster are gonna be cut. And thus far, through the three games and the scrimmage we've seen, right? We just uh, wrapped up the San Antonio game. Who are the guys that uh, that are kind of on the outside looking in, or how have I adjusted my perspective to what we've seen from the Jazz in preseason? Well, the first is Yudoka Azubuki. He did not play in the San Antonio game, and we just got word yesterday that he will not be available for the Dallas preseason game. 
that we there's just he's clearly not ready for the season. Okay, it's it's really unfortunate. His, the injury that he sustained last year is just lingering into the season. Uh, that's really concerning uh, for just his availability, and it's already impacted you know the ability to see him in preseason, which is too bad because you know he was a draft pick for us in 2020. There was all this hype built around him. We've seen flashes, but the fact is he doesn't have the availability and the consistent impact. Right, being able to stream multiple plays together, you're right to see a vision of him, you know, contributing in a rotation uh, as a backup. Uh, he never really saw it. That's that's my opinion. I, I never really saw it. You saw the flashes, but they were you know little spurts. And the Jazz recently just traded for Walker Kessler. Walker Kessler, recent uh, rookie from this past draft, came over in the Rudy Gobert trade. And the fact is, we've seen everything from him, right? He has been available in these preseason games. In fact, he's been the staple or the the you know, set it and forget it backup center, right? Even Oshai Abaji, who was drafted higher than him and who supposedly the Jazz are even higher on uh, in a vacuum, he has seen far less of the floor than Walker Kessler. Okay, so you, you've seen him. And he's done good things. And what I really like about Kessler is that he's been able to string multiple good things together in a row before making mistakes. And he does. He does make mistakes, you know, all the time. But he's also doing a lot well a lot of the time. And so you give him a lot of reps with his availability. And uh, what I really like about him is is just how cerebral, how high IQ the guy is, and I think that's I think that's a good combination for us to to have for our backup center, and I'm low on Azubuki for that for that spot, and so I would identify him as one of the cut candidates. Now another guy who could be a cut candidate is Cody Zeller. In my opinion, if I'm already cutting cutting Azubuki, I'm probably not cutting Cody Zeller I as well. Uh, I think he's the perfect you know fourth guy. Who uh, you know? Who you can, or I should say, third official center on on the roster. But we know that the Jazz want to see Larry Markkinen and Jared Vanderbilt Vanderbilt moonlight at center. So he essentially becomes you know your end of the bench big, and and I think he'd be perfect for that. Right? He's gonna be available. He can step in and he can perform. Whereas Azubuki, if you have him in that role, will he be available and can he perform when called upon? I don't know. Oh, and and Zeller, you know, he's he's low profile enough in that you know he's a bad enough player objectively that uh, that he's not gonna just start racking up wins for you. So I'm not concerned about that. Now Jared Butler, disappointed in the in the, in the first preseason game, showed some good things in the Portland game. Still made a ton a ton of mistakes. The scrimmage, I throw that out. Yeah, he looked good, but uh, you know you'll you'll notice that everybody who did look good are slotted to not play. So that kind of tells me, hey, I don't I don't care about the scrimmage like at all. Um, in the San Antonio game, though, Jared did do some really nice things. Uh, handled the ball well, you know, set up guys, was very active. So, you know, I, I still consider him a, a cut candidate, though he has shown some things. He might be playing himself into a roster spot ahead of Leandro Balmero. Um, 
I do still go back to a little bit that uh, that I think you know his his prototype doesn't quite have a high enough ceiling for for me to really see him panning out in the league, but um, but you know he did show some good things in that San Antonio game, so you know we'll see. I'm not sure about him now. Nigel, uh, excuse me, not Nigel Williams, Goss, Nikhil Alexander Walker. Now he has shown uh, some good things. I. You know, I thought in the first game or two, you know, he made a ton of mistakes, but uh, I think he's cleaned those up quite a bit, and he's been, uh, you know, quick to shoot when he's open, but also ready, ready to pass. Um, you know, he does make some mistakes, uh, as I'm sure we would expect, but uh, I do, I'm coming around a little bit on him. I do think he deserves a roster spot, um, but as for, as for the... You know, the only one I'm sure about is Yudoka Azubuki. Um, I get the argument for Stanley Johnson to be cut. I also get the Leandro Balmero argument to be cut. Um, you know, other people also mentioned Rudy Gay. I would keep him just because that's six, seven million that you could throw in a trade. And, um, you know, that can, that can get the Jazz into some interesting doors when you partner him with Jordan Clarkson's 10, 11 million and, uh, and Mike Conley's 20 million. So I, I personally would, uh, would keep gay around, even though, yeah, he does not want to be here at all. He is absolutely fed up with the team, but, uh, those are kind of some of my thoughts on the roster moves and, you know, with the information we've gotten from preseason thus far, how I've, uh, kind of shifted my, my perspective on, on the cuts. Haven't changed my mind on Udoka. Jared, I'm kind of on the fence about. Changed my mind on uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker. And I don't really know on the other spots, so we'll see. All right, so now we're talking projections and defining success. So we've had several of the media outlets, several of the big boys come out about their projections for the NBA season. Okay, and so, you know, this is similar to the Vegas odds makers, right? They'll set the over-under, you know, win totals, and they'll, you know, give a sense of what is expected performance-wise from each team. And so we want to look at those, okay? So I went through the uh, different teams, and or I guess the projections for, for these different teams. And I found out on DraftKings, some of the odds makers, they had the Jazz at 24 and a half wins. So that's the fifth highest lottery odds. Okay. So that's that's pretty interesting because I think us Jazz fans, we, we want to be in that bottom three. Okay. But uh, we're currently with the squad we got, uh, DraftKings anticipates us with the fifth highest lotto, lottery odds. Okay. 24 and a half wins. Hardwood Knox, which if you haven't uh, checked them out, it's a podcast, YouTube channel where they cover the entire league, but they get into the nitty gritty with you know experts from each team, uh, and they really try to do a high level job. And especially one thing that's a staple of them are their mailbag episodes uh, where they answer you, uh, fan questions and audience questions. So if you haven't checked out Hardwood Knox, search them on YouTube, Twitter, uh, or their or your podcatcher, they're a lot of fun. They're one of my first listens when uh, I'm at the gym or, or doing whatever. Anyways, they went through and identified uh, win totals, uh, win total projections, and they had the Jazz at 25 wins, fifth highest lottery odds. OK, 
Okay, ESPN has the Jazz at 35 wins. Now that may seem uh, really, really high. Uh, however, one interesting thing if you went through ESPN is that the variance around the league was extremely uh, thin, right? So, you know, I think the highest win totals they had were like 53, 54 wins, right? And the lowest uh, wins were like modest at 27, 28. So the point there is that we can't really take the, the win total as a sign of what ESPN thinks, but more so where that win total is in relation to the best lottery odds. And so at 35 wins, ESPN would have the Jazz with the sixth highest lottery odds. If we then go to Tankathon, they also put the Jazz at fifth, uh, the fifth highest lottery odds. Um, interestingly enough, 538 just came out with their 2022-2023 uh, uh, projections. Um, and if we look there, it has the Jazz as the, let's see, 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, as the 12th lowest lottery, or 10th uh, highest lottery odds. Um, and so they have the Jazz slotted in at 38 wins. So interesting. Why do some of the really stats based, now, Obviously, you know, DraftKings, the sports books, they're they're very, you know, statistical based as well. But why do they have have the Jazz ranked so low or, or with such high win totals, 538 and ESPN? Well, I think the main reason and, and, and we've seen it talked about is that the Jazz still have veterans that are anticipated to play like Mike Conley, and you've seen their impact, right? We saw it against Portland. Mike Conley played a lot. Jordan Clarkson played a lot. So did Kelly Olenek, et cetera. And the Jazz won that game, right? We got some shooting luck. We were really active defensively, and we kind of blew the Blazers out. And then we played San Antonio without Mike Conley, and all of a sudden the, the floor bottomed out. So until the Jazz move some of these veterans, I do anticipate that that a lot of the stats-based projections will uh, be underselling how, how far the Jazz could fall down. Now, you may also be wondering, hey, for some of these projections that are a little more nuanced or a little bit subjective, right, less to do with, you know, the stats and, and some of those projections, why are they so low on the Jazz? Like, why only the fifth highest odds? And I think that's, that's largely to do with, I guess just the the little differences in the um, in the records. Okay, so fifth may seem like you're far away from one, but if the gap between one and five were two three wins, that's not all that big a gap, honestly. So I think that's a lot of it too, and I guess my best guess is that the Utah Jazz land in that three to seven range, the third to seventh best odds uh, and you know we'll probably se be seventh best odds if you know say the the jazz um, have a have a squad that you know where they have to keep the veterans for a long time they can't find deals for them and they don't quite play the young guys yet Oshaya Baji, right he hasn't seen a ton of time in the preseason if that continues into the regular season where we're playing Clarkson and Conley a lot of minutes hey that that's pushing me to kind of those seventh best odds um, whereas if we are able to move off some of these veterans or if we really prioritize you know, playing the young guys or, or seeing some did not play coaches' decisions, that's where I could see us ascending up to that, that three range. And why I don't see number one, 
the first reason is just I think the level to which you're going to have to beat out Oklahoma City Thunder, San Antonio Spurs, teams who are who are unabashed, unapologetically tanking at the moment, I think is going to be pretty, pretty severe. Okay, The Jazz thus far, they've been very adamant of, hey, we are going to try to win every game. We are going to optimize our roster. We are wanting to build winning habits. Okay, That's what the league likes to hear. Right? Whereas Oklahoma City and the San Antonio Spurs and others, they've kind of been pretty blatant about, hey, yeah, we're trying to lose. We're trying to get a, a really, really good draft pick. And this is the process, right? This is the process Sam Hinkie demonstrated. And we, we may not do it as as demonstratively as the Philadelphia 76ers did last decade, but but that's our goal. That's what we're doing. Whereas the Jazz haven't gone that route. And so I think the Jazz would have to kind of go about that in as dramatic or even more dramatic way and moving off these veterans if they were to see a scenario where we get the number one lottery odds and we beat out Oklahoma City Thunder, the San Antonio Spurs, uh, and, and other teams that you, that you feel are going to be you know very very poor. So that's why I just don't see the number one lottery odds uh, being all that realistic. Again, I'd paint that three to seven range as being uh, as being where we land. And I guess how do we define success, right? So you know we've seen these projections. Okay, the, the team has talked a lot about, oh, we want to build winning habits, and we want to play every game. Team 49, hate that, by the way. Different discussion, though. So we've seen what the team has kind of been saying is their defining success, but as fans, what do we identify as a successful season for the Jazz? Is it losing a bunch of games? Well, the first thing I'd say is probably, probably not, because... If we just want to lose a bunch of games, the idea is that each game we lose is helping our chances at winning the lottery and exponentially helping our chances to get a real impact player. And the first one there just isn't true anymore given how the NBA has flattened lottery odds. And, pe and people have quoted that a ton, flattening lottery odds. What does that actually mean, right? The, the Jazz, we haven't had to pay attention to it for the last handful of years because we've been really good, and sometimes we've even been out of our first-round pick. So who, why have we even needed to pay attention to it? But let's dig into it. As you can see here, this is, the, this is a chart showing the probability to win the lottery. Okay? You have picks 1 through 14 in the pre-lottery order on the x-axis, and then you've got the probability to win the lottery on the y-axis. Now, the gray dots, those are the old lottery odds, whereas the yellow are the new lottery odds. So the old lots, odds are where you saw uh, you know, uh, Cleveland getting uh, Kyrie Irving and, uh, and uh, Andrew Wiggins and Anthony Bennett when they won the lottery, right? Those are, those are how you, know, you saw the, uh, the Washington Wizards getting John Wall, et cetera, et cetera, right? Whereas these new odds in yellow, that's where you see, you know, Detroit uh, getting Cade Cunningham, and you saw the Orlando Magic moving up to number one to get Paolo Banchero. So this it's different now, and we can see the difference here, right? The old lottery said that the number one 
uh, or, or the worst team in the league got a 25% probability to win the lottery to get the number one pick. Whereas now, that's cratered down to 14%. Okay, so being the worst team in the NBA, if your definition of, of success is being the worst team so, so you get the number one pick, that, that scenario has, has been favored less or disadvantaged by the league, right? Your odds have now been shaved by 15, uh, or excuse me, 11% from 25% down to 14% as the number one team. And similarly, with number two, you used to have a 20% chance. Now you have 14. And with the third pick, you used to be around 16.5%. And now you're down to 14 again. So when we talk about flattening lottery odds, basically what the incentive is now is, hey, just be one of the bottom three. Okay? Because if, if your main motivation is to get that number one pick, the third best, uh, third highest lottery odds and the first have the same have the same shot at the first round pick at the number one overall pick. Now Riley Gisman, who we had on the show last uh, last time where we did the uh, drafting the Utah Jazz assets, you know he wrote an article about a sweet spot, a sweet spot in the in the in the draft where the new lottery odds are actually helping you relative to what the old lottery odds were. And that was in the 5 to 11 range, I believe, he identified. And you can see it right here on the chart, right? So instead of that gray on number 5 being lower uh, in the, uh, I think that's the 8.5% range, you're now upwards of 10.5% in the, in the number 5 spot, okay? And as you go to 6, 7, 8, the gap between what the old lottery odds were and what the new ones are, it keeps going up, okay? And they don't flatten out again or be the same until you get to about the 12th, 13th, 14th pick, where the odds between the new and old system are about the same. So from this standpoint, getting the, the being the worst team doesn't really help you if your goal is to win the lottery, Really, I think the, the sweet spot is being three to four if you want best chance to win the lottery, be three or four, okay? Because the level to which you're going to have to out-tank San Antonio and Oklahoma City, you know, can affect your team quite a bit. And I could still see us being number four, number five, even if we kept some of the veterans, right? We'd have to see some DNPCDs and we'd have to, you know, see some rotational shifts, but we could be uh, three, four, five, even if we kept them, we just have to be pretty drastic about it. Uh, whereas if we move off the veterans, uh, I think we, you know, three is, is a really, really likely spot for us. So... I don't really see that being the worst team in the NBA this year as the ultimate goal. I just don't see it uh, because of the this changed lottery odds. Now, you know, I did I did see some some interesting thoughts online about how hey, if you're into the conspiracy theories about how oh hey the the NBA would never give the Jazz the number one pick, right? We've we've seen that. Okay, the Jazz have never got the number one pick in their history. Okay, and you know, we've all kind of felt as jazz fans that you know we're kind of in the in the outskirts of the NBA that we're the uh, the not cool franchise, and and maybe if you're into the conspiracy theories, that's that's you know 
that's made it to where we didn't get uh, didn't get fair treatment in the finals, or that uh, we haven't seen stars stay. Or you can take it further in. Oh, hey, that's why we haven't won the lottery, right? But uh, you know, if you're into those conspiracy theories, here's here's a side angle. And I saw this from from Mark on Twitter. If you're not following Mark, uh, follow him at Mark W underscore E zero one. Um, and I'm gonna put his tweet up here on the YouTube version. If you haven't checked out our YouTube, hit, hit that up so that you can see podcast highlights here um, of the show and other things we're doing. But he he basically s- suggested or you know elaborated on an alternative theory for conspiracy in that quote conspiracy would say the Jazz for sure get the number one pick. What? Okay, let's dig into this further. Quote, look at what's happened to them recently. They're the flagship example for major CBA changes aimed at protecting small markets. And the league doesn't want to do that. They also need to ensure the success of Smith and Wade. If you go into, uh, you know, further throughout this thread, he says, hey, the Jazz have been very, very clear. We're not tanking. Yes, our team is bad, but we are going to do everything we can to win. Okay. Just recently, right after Victor Wembanyama shocked the world, sent the whole NBA into a frenzy that could only be disrupted by Draymond Green throwing a punch at Jordan Poole. Okay, they asked Adam Silver, commissioner of the league, about Victor Wembanyama, and he reiterated, "Hey, we did the we did the lottery odds this way to disincentivize tanking." Okay, and He said every team should look to win. Okay, He was very, very clear about that. So Mark's point is that the Jazz are following right lockstep in with what Adam Silver is saying, what the league wants, what the league is doing. So if you're a conspiracy nut, then, hey, this is an alternative theory that suggests, hey, the Jazz may actually be uh, favored in the back room under the table than, than we've seen in years past. But that's that again. I don't think that's something that that uh, you can really buy too much stock on. It's it's you know a fun thing to you know theorize about. But in my opinion, it's it's not worth enough to, you know, go after that that worst spot, worst record in the league because your odds at one and three are the same. Okay, so I would really be ta- targeting that three to five range. At worst, I think you're seven if you keep all the veterans and, and play them a decent amount. But uh, really, I think the goal should be in that three to five range, seven worst case scenario, be in that range and shift your goal away from saying, hey, it's Wembenyama or bust. Stop it. Because here's the thing, at 14% chance at the one, two, or three position, basically what that means is 86% of the time, we're losing out on Victor Wembenyama. 86% of the time. Okay, so if you're going to miss out 86% of the time with the first pick and you're going to miss out 90% with the fourth or fifth pick, really, is there that much difference? No, there's not. So really, I think we shift our shift our focus away from, oh, we've got to win the lottery to let's be in a position to draft a franchise type player. What do I mean by franchise type player? When I say a franchise guy or franchise player, what I'm thinking is, hey, a guy who could be a number one option on a contending team. Okay, I th- I think Donovan Mitchell was a franchise guy, right? 
I think Shea Gilgis Alexander, you know, I think he's in that mold of a franchise player. Jason Tatum is absolutely a franchise player. Okay. Victor Wembanyama, now he is a generational player. He's your LeBron, right? He's your Hakeem Olajuwon, right? But uh, Jason Tatum, it wasn't when he was drafted in that ilk. Okay. Victor is. But if we're all shooting for the moon for Victor, we're most likely we're going to be disappointed. So let's shift away from Victor or bust and instead say, hey, let's be available to draft a franchise-level player, someone who could be our number one option when we contend in the future. Let's try to draft that guy. Let's be in a draft position where we can draft that guy. So that really depends on how many guys are franchise guys in the NBA. So I, uh, I screenshotted some, some tweets by Tony Jones, beat writer for the Utah Jazz, writer for The Athletic, excellent follow, at T Jones on the NBA on Twitter. He says, I don't know if Scoot falls out of the top 10. Scoot, uh, Scoot Henderson, he was in the G League Ignite um, game against Victor Wembanyama. also showed out, uh, proved he is absolutely a franchise player, maybe more than that, but not quite on the generational type level that uh, Victor is. So he says, I don't know if Scoot can fall out of the top two, but you can't tell me that Amon Thompson, Nick Smith, and Cam Whitmore don't have multiple all-star upside. He then went on to say, not with the Thompson twins uh, in, in relation to, um, hey, are those, guys real, are those guys in a new tier? That, that's what was asked. Uh, he says, not with the Thompson twins and Cam Whitmore and Nick Smith out there. These guys are all in Scoot's neighborhood. So the idea is, Tony Jones really believes, and we've seen it from other people, that, hey, there's kind of a five-player tier. Now, that could expand depending on who you ask to, but fairly consensus, there's five guys. There's Victor Wimbanyama, there is, um, uh, excuse me, Scoot Henderson, there's Nick Smith, Amon Thompson, Cam Whitmore. And potentially, if you think Osler Thompson... You know, that could be six. But let's stick with the five for now, okay? Assume that you have five franchise players, okay? If you have five franchise guys and you want to shoot for drafting one of them, you know, I, I ran a simulation on at what spot in the order will you need to have odds-wise to have a good shot at drafting them, okay? If you have the fourth pick and you want one of those five franchise guys, you're having over a 55% chance at drafting one of those five. The fourth pick, okay? More than half the time, you'll be in a position to draft one of those five guys, okay? At the five pick, that's a little less than 50% chance, okay? At the sixth pick, you're still at like 38% chance. At the sixth pick of being able to draft one of those five guys. Now this, if you want if if you are the you know the person backing the argument for being the worst team this is your argument okay hey we want to be we want to have a 100% chance at drafting a franchise player then that's your argument for having the number 1 pick right having a number 1 pick would would say okay at the number 1 spot we have a 100% chance at drafting one of those five players because worst case scenario for a number one uh, 
for the worst team in the league, you don't win the lottery, you don't get in the top four at all, and you end up at five. Okay, so you are 100% guaranteed if there's five franchise players in the draft, at number one, you will get one, or you will have the chance to draft one. It may not be the one you prefer, but you will have a chance to draft one. So that would be your argument. If there's three franchise players in the draft, you could see that here. The first, third, uh, the first, second, and third teams, they all have a 40% chance of drafting one of the three franchise players. Okay, that makes sense. They all have the same lottery odds. Okay, and if you want a 25% chance or more of drafting one of those three, even the sixth pick is getting you around a 28% chance. So this is what I mean. I think the Jazz need to shoot for this three to five range. And really hope that we're in good graces with Adam Silver and maybe there's some backroom magic that can vault us into the number one spot. But even if not, in the three to five range, we're giving ourselves more than a 50% chance to draft one of these, these franchise players. And at this point, it seems there's a handful of franchise guys in this draft. And maybe there are more as we get into it, as some players show out in college and really demonstrate some amazing things in the draft process. But thus far, I think a three to five rank is more than sufficient. And if you insist, if you still insist, even after this podcast episode, that, hey, we need the worst record, we need the best odds, that's great. But don't make your argument from the standpoint of, oh, so we can get Victor Wimbanyama. Because odds are, we're not getting that number one pick, and we're going to miss out on him. Instead, say, hey, I want the worst record, the best lottery odds, so I have the best chance at Victor, and when that doesn't happen, when that most likely doesn't happen, I still have a 100% chance of getting one of those, of being in a position to draft one of those five franchise players. I think that's the argument. So I don't think that our, our main motivation can be to just lose games. We need to lose a lot of games. But I don't think we should, we should throw out the season or be super disappointed if we end up, two, three, end up with two or three more wins than Oklahoma City or San Antonio. We end up with the third uh, best odds. And I think it's because of this reason. We're still going to have over 60% odds at drafting even three franchise players, uh, or excuse me, of the five franchise players, and we're still going to have as good a chance at Victor Wembanyama as the other two. So ultimately, I think, can we balance developing some winning habits? Can we balance mentoring our young guys, having a lot of time for the young guys? I need to see that Will Hardy. I need to see Oshai Abadji get some real run. Can we balance seeing what we have in Larry Markkinen and Jared Vanderbilt and Malik Beasley, seeing if they should remain with the Jazz for the long haul? Can we let Will Hardy make mistakes, and can we still win a lot, of, uh, still lose a lot of games? Can we balance all of that and ensure we're in that three to five range? I believe so. I believe we can, and I believe that's the plan. I don't think the Jazz are shooting for the worst record in the league. I just don't. I do think that they're shooting for that three to five range. And it's going to largely depend on being able to move some of these veterans and, and, uh, and seeing what they have quick enough. You know, like for some of these guys, I think if they 
if they have it their way, they know exactly what they have so they can decide if they move on from recently acquired guys like Malik Beasley, uh, Jared Vanderbilt, or Larry Markkinen, uh, or even Kelly Olenek, frankly, or if they want to keep them around as, as we continue through the process. So that's going to be really interesting. But I believe that's the plan, and I think the Jazz can do it. Well, thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you like what we're doing, uh, here's how you can support us. First, subscribe to the podcast on the podcatcher of your choice or right here in YouTube so you don't miss our future highlights, uh, special episodes, and other content. Also, follow us on Twitter at Jabber underscore Jazz. Uh, leave a review or a comment. That would go a long way into letting us know you're out there listening and enjoy what we're doing. And if you're a real fan of what we're doing here, uh, the podcast, uh, the YouTube videos, uh, please consider scoring some Utah Jazz merch. Or not some Utah Jazz, but Jabber Jazz merch. Consider scoring some Jabber Jazz merch on our store. Link is in the description below. We've got hats, t-shirts, hoodies, and I think you'll really, really enjoy the quality and what we got there. And all the modest proceeds go to help keeping the lights on. So win-win, right? Well, thank you so much again. And be sure to jabber some jazz this weekend and tune in for the Dallas game. We'll be doing the same. And now let's leave you with some sounds of jazz. Jazz.